You are listening to the DBN Network. Browns fans talking to Browns fans. Welcome back, everybody, to episode three of the Browns Beat Podcast. This is your host, Michael Hogue, with Justin Higdon. And we just want to say first off to please give our Twitter account a follow at the Browns Beat. And you can find me at Browns Beat. And Justin is at AFC to NFC. All right, kicking off today's show, we want to get into the Oakland Raiders recap from week four. Uh, the number one thing on the table is the overturned Carlos Hyde call, along with a number of other really puzzling calls throughout the game. Justin, what do you think about the decision to overturn the call and its impact on the, on the Browns' loss in week four? I mean, my first thought was uh, when they overturn a ball spot like that is to just abolish instant replay altogether because it's just, uh, it just it almost seems like it gives us more headaches than it's worth. Uh, sometimes, it, it, it for as a Browns fan, it never really seems to work in your favor. You know, it might it might correct some wrongs here and there, but oh my gosh, I was ready to just scrap the whole system, but. You know, upon looking at it today, if they would have called him short from the get-go, you would have understood it. But the fact that they, they gave him the first down, it seemed like the Browns had done exactly what they needed to do, get one first down so they could kneel it and run out the clock and uh, and go away with an eight-point victory on the road. And instead, it gets overturned, and it's – you know, the instant reaction for the fans is like, that is the key to the game. That was the call. That blew the game. But we have to be honest with ourselves, Mike. If, you know, it wasn't just that call. So as frustrating as that was and as annoying, I mean, I got a million texts yesterday and today uh, from, from other Browns fans just completely fed up with the referees and the NFL officials in that game. But, uh, you know, there. If we dig deeper, the Browns didn't necessarily have to be in that situation. They had a two-score lead earlier. They turned it over four times. There are other reasons. They even had a chance uh, in overtime to win it, and they they couldn't get it done. So, uh, once again, the special teams was atrocious. There, we had some injuries in the uh, defensive backfield. So there were just a number of things that all came together, and it felt like. Uh, I, I don't want to say it, but it just felt like a same old Browns type Brownsing. And uh, we'll get into it a little later with our guest, Jeff Risden, about why this year feels different. But in the moment, at the end of that game, it felt so familiar and it was really frustrating. Completely agree. I had a couple of Raiders friends texting throughout the game telling me that they were no longer Raiders fans because they were going to lose to the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> and I just said, I said, just hold, just stay patient. <laughs> like you, you, I've been here before. Don't, don't lose your <laughs> yeah, faith because you, you don't understand that you don't understand what you're dealing with here. <laughs> this is not, this is not, you're not playing a, a football team that, that knows how to win football games in the, in the fourth quarter. Um, I agree with everything that you just said and everything that our, our guest is going to say later, Jeff Risden. But I I have this this platform at this moment right now, and I feel like after spending the last 30-some hours unhealth, unhealthily watching that play, I just want to say a couple brief things about it. <laughs> and 
this 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 decision to overturn a, a spot that's called in the field requires clear and obvious visual evidence is the only way that they can overturn a call in the field. That, that is the only situation. And after watching the call, Hyde's wrist, hand, and elbow hit the ground while the football was near his face mask where he had it cradled. And after looking at the play from both angles, seeing where the ball is at, it, it appears to me that there is definitely a lot of doubt whether or not he's reached that line. But there's also a lot of doubt whether or not he didn't. I mean, unless you have an overhead view of the position of the ball at the time of impact to the ground, there's there's no way that an official in 60 seconds looking at those camera angles can say with, with the standard of review requirement that Renfell rulebook states, you, you just can't change a game that way without having the, the evidence that you need. And maybe it's the law student in me speaking out here, but I just completely disagree to the that an official has that kind of impact on a football game and I'm not going to let it go. I'm not going to keep talking about it today, but the game was over. So everything else that they did wrong, the Browns failed to to execute when they had the 14-point lead. That all that stuff was washed away by the big plays of of Nick Chubb and Baker Mayfield. So that's where I'm at and I we're moving forward. The Browns lost, but we won't we won't forget that one anytime soon. I don't think. No, but in a way, we uh, just just seeing how uh, you know they put up forty two points and uh, seeing that they're, what they're capable of in in some of these areas. You know, Nick Chubb breaking off two long touchdown runs, Mayfield putting up big numbers uh, despite a lot of drop passes by his receivers, and we'll get into that a little bit more. Um, yes, there were the turnovers. Yes, there were some more special teams errors, but 42 points. You have to feel pretty good about that going forward because if they can, you know, the offense can get into a groove, score some points. Some of these young guys start holding on to those those passes. Baker's getting more and more to practice time with these guys, and we'll see a, a guy like Chubb uh, start to get more into the flow of the offense only three carries but uh, only three snaps but he carried the ball in all three snaps and two of them went for long touchdowns so there's a lot there's a lot to be hopeful about here uh there's a lot to be frustrated about but you don't feel you don't get the feeling uh at least a day later i don't get the feeling like this is going to be one of those things that's going to linger with this team and cause that snowball effect of more misery uh, they've got a tough matchup this coming weekend, and we'll talk about that later. But you you still feel like the trajectory, the arrow's pointing up on this team, do you not? Yeah, I definitely agree, Justin. The, um, the, the team seems to be receptive to their head coach. They seem to want to play for, for Hugh Jackson, despite all the, all the criticism for the coach. And going forward... They they just need to get off the field on defense, and they need to minimize the turnovers, which they had done the first few weeks with Tyrod at quarterback. And for as, for as much blame as you want to place on Baker Mayfield, I I know that you can't really say that he was the reason that these turnovers were happening. I mean, the first interception off Callaway's hands. I know there was some sliding on the on the baseball field. Uh, the, the fumble. 
the fumbled snap was easily a communication problem. He was he was checking the line of scrimmage when Treader snapped it. And other than the, the interception and the, near the end of regulation, he, he did what he needed to do in that game. He completed a lot of passes. He was, uh, I believe, the fifth highest in NFL history, or since 1970, Super Bowl era, and with not 295 passing yards in his debut. And I think the way that they played, the, the competitive nature of the team, along with Mayfield leading the way, they're definitely going to be competing this season. And there isn't really that kind of fear that the team's going to give up like they have in past seasons. I think that the guys that uh, John Dorsey's brought in have changed a lot of the culture. I know that's a kind of a cliche kind of take, but guys like Jarvis Landry and Demarius Randall and even Miles Garrett, who's a, a second year player, but he's, he's leading definitely by example and not too worried about them in that regard. The one thing I wanted to, to talk about though, were the turnovers, you know, they went in, it was actually something we talked about at the, uh, during last week's show was one of the keys keys to the game it, coming in. Oakland had not forced a lot of turnovers. Cleveland had not committed many. And then that script gets completely flipped for this game where the Browns turn over four times. Uh, it was disappointing to see Mayfield throw that pick at the end of the game, at the end of regulation, because it did, it, it, it was hearkening back to last year. Where we saw a young quarterback throwing interceptions in key situations. Um, I'm willing to give him a pass, obviously, on, on that that miscommunication with Treader, it looked like they just, you know, that's probably something that comes from not practicing a ton uh, together. And and same with some of these drop passes that we saw. Uh, the Callaway pick, uh, I saw people putting it all on Callaway. I think it was, I think there's blame to be shared on that. And, uh, you know, I hope, I hope to God that NFL teams don't have to play on a baseball diamond very much longer. I know the Raiders are going to be moving to Las Vegas soon, but uh, get get this dirt infield crap out of here. Uh, that caused a lot of issues with uh, with footing. It seemed like so. You know, again, it's frustrating. Even even if they, you know, when they got that first down, they got overturned at the end of the game. You half expect somebody to take their helmet off and throw it because it, it just it just always seems to be something. But this team, they've got to move past this now. Um, I don't think the players are going to be dwelling on these officiating calls, but I think it's, I, I saw some people, you know, maybe scolding fans a little bit for being angry with the referees, but I think the Cleveland faithful had a good reason to be angry with the referees. Uh, and, and I think venting about is perfectly fine. Um, again, we'll move forward from here and, uh, and face Baltimore this weekend, but yeah, it's, it's a tough one to swallow, you know, the Raiders were very close to being 0-4. Cleveland was very close to having a winning record since, for the first time since I can remember, and uh, it just didn't materialize. So here's here's the hoping that they grow from this and learn how to close out games. That's got to be something that that they uh, they got to come together and do that this year. Yeah, definitely. That's 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 something that will come, I think, with experience and having these guys in. Todd Haley's offense for a little bit longer. I, I, I know that Haley's play calling kind of confused me at times. There was some weird play calling near the goal line in the first quarter. There was some some really conservative play calling in the second half when they were when they had the lead, which 
you don't ever want to take your foot off the gas in the NFL. I know that those two turnovers back to back were, I mean, it doesn't matter really what plays you're calling in that situation. When you have that happen to you, there's not really anything you do. But before that, run, run, pass, punt is, is something that really infuriates me. <laughs> and something that <laughs> NFL coaches and college coaches have been doing for the, since the beginning of football. And you just can't you can't be comfortable in in the in a league where you got guys like Derek Carr and Amari Cooper and now Jared Cook who looks incredible this season. He's really having a, a breakout year this late in his career. It's pretty impressive. Um, briefly before we get to Jeff, just one last thing about the refs. And I, I know that we I don't want to talk about this too much longer, but the final thing I want to say is that, and this is not a conspiracy. I'm not really a big conspiracy guy. But uh, Walt Anderson's official record as a as a referee against the Cleveland Browns is now two and eleven. And throughout the game, I I, I check out Jake Burns, uh, Browns film review analyst, who does weekly uh, clips. We're gonna have him on soon, hopefully. He pointed out something that I saw and that I was I noted from the game, and I I talked about throughout the day. Not not just Miles Garrett, but especially Miles Garrett was being held repeatedly and blatantly in front of the officials like like within a matter of feet and these these calls were not getting getting flags the, the Raiders offensive line knew they can get away with it and they just kept rolling with it the referees just refused to throw a penalty flag on, on the offensive line for the Raiders and along with that and the Carlos Hyde play and then the Baker May- Mayfield, I mean, the Derek Carr fumble strip sack that, that never was. It was blown dead. It's just a lot to take in considering the circumstances of the loss. And we're moving on. But that's that's my that's my piece. I've said it. And there's nothing else to say. Yeah, so Mike and I have done our venting. We are, <laughs> we're over this officiating thing. We're going to talk to our guest tonight, Jeff Risden, and see if we can get let's, – let's get positive for the rest of the show, Mike. Let's talk to Jeff. Let's get positive. Let's bring him on right now. Let's do it. Let's welcome our guest this week. It's a, a good friend of mine going way back. Uh, he is the NFL and NFL draft guru for RealGM.com. He's also the managing editor for the Browns Wire and the LionsWire.com. Those are – through the USA Today networks. You can follow him on Twitter at Jeff Risden, R-I-S-D-O-N. Jeff Risden, welcome to the Browns Beat. What's going on, man? It is great to be with you guys. Uh, this this is one of the few podcasts where I've actually met both of you guys in person before and hung out with you all, so this is, this is great for me. We are happy to have you this week. Um, obviously, we wish it would have been under different circumstances. It looked like the Browns had a two touchdown, a two score lead. They had an eight point lead with under two minutes to play, and the Browns Browns it. Uh, oh. <laughs> yeah, it's something we've grown accustomed to over the years. But what's? I mean, tell me what's different about it this time. You know, I think the fact that they were. I, I think that they were close late in the game and that it was, you know, they raced out. There was, it was a 28 to 14 game. And at that point I started to write the, the post game column because that's what we do um, with, with hints of victory in it. 
And then the Raiders came back and I started to change it to hints of defeat. And then I just threw up my hands in the air and said, what the hell's going on here? Uh, but the fact that they've been close in every game, that they've been competitive, that they've been, dare I say, fun to watch is is exciting for me. It's cool. It's it's nice to see that, that a Browns team with that much talent on is finally playing like they have that much talent. Now, they're not obviously translating it into wins well enough yet, but the, the fact that they, they are toe-to-toe and they're, they're not outclassed by anybody, uh, certainly not anybody that they've played yet, I think that's, for me, that's pretty cool. Hey, Jeff. Yeah, definitely. We, we've seen a, a competitive team each game, not every once in a while they show up and, and almost win a game. So going back to the game on Sunday, what what do you think percentage-wise – would you attribute the loss to the referees? You know, I've, I've wrestled with this question all day. Uh, the, the fanboy in me says that the, that Carlos Hyde got the first down and the refs took that away. So the Browns did in fact do what they needed to do to win the game. And that got taken away by the officials. That is hard to reconcile for me. Um, and I'm actually even more upset with the the blown dead call uh, on the fumble recovery earlier, where the, you know Walt Anderson clearly did not see that the ball was loose when that's his job, and uh, that that was very frustrating. So the, the the officials cost the Browns the victory, uh, or I should say the the path to victory. Now the the special teams were atrocious again. And they could have stopped the punt return again. They did not. They had, you know, coverage issues. There were some tackling issues. There were some plays that they left in the field. You know, when you have a rookie quarterback, though, you you have to expect that he's not going to play perfectly. And I thought he did enough to win. Uh, But, you know, so I'll say, you know, I'm going to go pretty high on it because I do think the Browns really did do the things that they needed to do to win the game. And the officials denied them that. So I'm going to go. It's like 60 percent. Yeah, that's I think that's totally fair. I mean, they definitely had chances to finish the game. They had a 14-point lead in the second half, and they didn't get it done. So you, you said something about tackling a minute ago, Jeff. Something I noticed during the game, and I don't know if I'm making too much out of it or not, but Marshawn Lynch, he pretty much pumped the Cleveland Browns defense for most of the game. And in the, that second half, he had his teammates flying off the ball. Uh, it was it was a noticeable difference from the first half that after some of his big runs that he broke outside, he broke through multiple defenders. It just looked like the Browns' def- defenders were scared. What do you th- what did you see from Marshawn Lynch? Well, you're right. He was definitely juiced up, and he does that to everybody. He doesn't just do that to Cleveland. I think that needs to be you know put in in context. But he was definitely really good, and uh, especially I'm gonna, I'm going to say that Jamie Collins did not look all that interested in tackling him on a few plays and uh, I don't think that they got off blocks as well uh, especially after Mitchell left the game and uh, my guy TJ Carey he uh, he apparently made a lot of tackles I didn't necessarily see that when I was watching I saw him miss a couple uh, so I, I'm not thrilled with with how he played in the run uh, you know I, I, or Peppers, the, or the pass, Peppers yeah. and Kindred both have to be better at it too I think they they're good around the the line of scrimmage and around the box but if he, if they get in the space which is where Marshawn was engaging those guys they're, they're not as good there. And uh, I give Oakland some credit for getting Lynch where he is successful. And and you're right, man. Their line was was ready to go for him. 
and uh, that 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 did make a difference in the game. But uh, yeah, the, the, there's there's scheme things that the, the Browns can do, and there's also you know just the the fundamentals of the game. And neither of those went all that well in the second half of that game. Uh, yeah, you mentioned Peppers, and and he had he failed to actually register any stats in the game, which is just incredibly disappointing for a guy that was picked in the top twenty five. A year ago, but I want to shift gears and uh, go back to the offensive side of the ball because uh, we heard Hugh Jackson today say that Browns receivers dropped nine passes. And now I have seen some of the the replays and some of the clips. To me, it doesn't look like it's all on the receivers. And from what I heard today, actually looking at uh, the Browns' Twitter sphere versus the calling uh, people that were calling into call uh, talk radio, it seemed to be that Twitter uh, puts more of the focus on the drop passes, and that the uh, radio callers and certainly uh, some members of the national media were even putting some of it, some more of it, on Baker Mayfield. Uh, so it's kind of a two-part question: Do we obsess too much about drop passes? And how much of this was on the receivers? How much of this was on Mayfield yesterday? Oh, this is a good question for you because I deal with this in my when I wear my my Lions wire hat because Matthew Stafford's receivers have led the league in drops every year he's been in the league. So I I, I deal with drops and I have a pretty good contextualization of of what the difference is between the receiver and the quarterback being responsible for it. And I'll say this: there, I Callaway dropped two easy ones. Najoku dropped an easy one. Uh, those those are those are just flat concentration drops. There were there were some that were iffy. I I, I broke it down. I had them for seven. I think Pro Football Focus had them for six, and I think uh, uh, I'm trying to think who else had somebody else posted that they had six for it. So I mean that's now, now keep in mind the Raiders had eight. So maybe there was something in the field or the air in Oakland. I don't know. I mean, weird, weird crap like that does happen. It can be infectious. Uh, I, but there was there was just a lot of. It seemed like the the passes that were dropped. Baker hit uh, the one that hit Landry. Um, he slipped a little bit. There was one on Callaway on the first drive where he he slipped uh, and it bounced off both of his hands. I I don't know how much of that you can blame on Baker. Um, there is. I'll say this, the difference between the ball that he throws and the ball that Tyrod throws is considerable. And the receivers have not had a lot of practice time with him. And I think that that does play a little bit of a factor in it. I I, I would have liked to have seen more first team reps back in August for Baker so they could get used to him throwing them the ball instead of Tyrod, because it is a very different ball. It's coming from a different angle. It's coming with different velocity, uh, different spin on it even. Uh, And that's, that that I give the receivers a little bit of a break on that, but that that grace period is ending quickly. Yeah, Jeff, definitely. We heard Jarvis Landry last week say that he was ramping up the the speed on the jugs machine just to see if he can get used to the velocity from Mayfield's throws. Um, speaking of the of the of the rookie quarterback, so yeah, he was responsible for a number of turnovers against the Raiders. What do you think about the final throw in regulation, which is the play that I have the most problem with? I think from anything that I saw from Mayfield in week four. I am absolutely with you on that. That was a poor decision. It was, it was a forced throw that didn't need to be there. You you had other options that were available to you. You had time. You could have thrown the ball away. 
Uh, that's where his daring do, which is, is I think, his greatest asset, can also be a weakness. And in that case, it was. And he made a, a rookie mistake, and he needs to make sure that that, is still, that stays a rookie mistake and is something that he learns from. He, he should have li- he needs to learn to live to play another down there. Uh, that, that was that was a terrible throw. It was a terrible decision on his part. And uh, I hope he understands that. I, I have a pretty good feeling that he does. Uh, but it, man, that was that was one it, you could you could see it as soon as he dropped back that he was looking there and that that was where he was going to wind up going and and that it wasn't going to end well. And that's something that, you know, we saw that so much last year where you have a young quarterback who's kind of telegraphing what he's going to do in crucial moments and turning the ball over. So that's, you know, it's, we saw four turnovers. You don't want to put them all on Baker. Uh, I really, especially the bad snap, um, the pick six uh, you alluded to, you know, Callaway slipped, but I didn't think it was a particularly great throw in that situation, but uh, especially uh, on down and distance that early in the scoreless game. But um, that last one, like you guys are saying, that last throw uh, that led to the interception when they they have a chance to get to push it into field goal range and get a win, very frustrating. But, um, you know, two, two rookies, uh, Jeff, I wanted to ask you about that I think have been impressive, especially the last couple of weeks. Uh, Nick Chubb touched the ball three times yesterday, had over 100 yards, two long touchdown runs. Uh, uh, ESPN had a stat this morning. He's the first guy ever to have uh, a 100-yard, two-touchdown game on only three carries. And then the other rookie I wanted to to talk about was Desmond Harrison. We've mentioned him on the last couple episodes. I think this kid is playing really well at left tackle. He seems to get better and better each week. Uh, what's your take on those two rookies going forward? Yeah, it was nice to see Chubb make some plays because he did not play well uh, prior to that. He was on the hook. His special teams play has been poor. His pass protection has been poor. So he's got to contribute somewhere. And uh, by golly, he did. Uh, it was great to see him with that burst. And, and compared to Carlos Hyde, who I think is is doing a decent job, I really do, uh, at, at grinding and, and setting things up. But <laughs> just the, the glide motion that Hyde, that, uh, that Chubb had on those runs, it was like, oh, my God, they're not going to catch him. And it, with Carlos, they would have caught him at the 20. So that that dimension is is fantastic. And, and I'm happy to see him do that. I hope he gets more opportunities to do so. I will say this. I, I hope they don't overfeed him the ball because I do think at this point what, what Hyde is doing is working well enough for the offense. And I would hate to see them, you know, go to Chubb and, and put him in situations where he's not going to be set up as much for success, uh, if that makes sense. Um, now, Harrison, uh, I actually broke down his first week. Uh, I sat down and, and watched the entire game with Lance Zierlein and uh, Connor Rogers. We, we actually wrote about it for Browns Wire, where we broke down every single play of his, and uh, he, he did okay. You know, for, for an undrafted rookie playing against the Pittsburgh freaking Steelers, I thought he did fine. And the, the tale with him is he gets better throughout the game each week. He's feeling out his opponents. Uh, and, you know, some of that is because he's a rookie. I think some of it is I, I'm not sure that he's all that good at film study yet, to be honest. Uh, he, he's one of those guys that sort of has to feel it within the game. He gets better as the game goes on. I, and I'm, he's not a run blocker. He's never going to be a run blocker. He, he just doesn't have the, 
the leverage for it. His arms are too long to get to get out and, and lock down those guys. You know, defenders are just too quick to get into his pads. But in pass protection, he's fine, and that's what you want from your left tackle. You you want a guy who can envelop the, the edge, seal it off, at least make it a, a round, circuitous route to the quarterback. He does a very good job of that. He has fantastic feet. That that's the, that's the thing. And, and Lance and, and Connor both alluded to it was for a, for a guy who's coming from West Georgia, you know, and and is is an older prospect. You know, remember he's I think he's twenty five. He's at least twenty four. Um, th- th- that's you can't teach what he has with his feet. He's like a dancer out there. And I, I, I'm very impressed with what I've seen from him. I expected a lot worse. You know, I, I've had the chance to watch a lot of rookie left tackles over the years and, and some bad offensive linemen. I, I, I watched Greg Robinson last year in Detroit. And when Cleveland got him this summer, I was scared to death for whoever was going to be quarterback. Cause he's awful. And uh, I'm, I'm very happy that we don't have to see him as even an emergency option because Harrison has been, He's been acceptable, and that's for an undrafted rookie playing in place of Joe Thomas. I'll take acceptable. Yeah, I mean, here's here's the PFF uh, grades this week for Harrison. They said he had the 11th best offensive tackle grade and uh, pass blocking grades among all tackles week four uh, with qualifying snaps, and that he allowed just one pressure in 48 pass blocking snaps. So say what you will about their the PFF grades, but uh, I think it's pretty – Generally, I think they are pretty generous with pressures, and they only credited defensive linemen with one pressure against Harrison yesterday. So, I'm, I, again, I think this is a guy that's getting better and better each week. He is. He, he he still needs to learn to keep a little bit more weight on his inside foot, and that that's where he's shown vulnerability in every game. And uh, I, I actually think the, I I can I can see the play where he gave it the pressure on this one. It was a uh, an end tackle twist. And he was a little bit late to get to where he needed to get to. He recognized it, but uh, it was uh, Arden Key just got around him a little bit faster than he expected. But uh, he did recover enough that it wasn't a sack. So I, I'm 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 very pleased with him. He, he there are other bigger fish to fry on this team than than Desmond Harrison's performance at left tackle. Yeah, definitely looking forward to seeing more of Chubb and Desmond Harrison in the coming weeks, especially seeing Chubb with a little bit more work possibly. So, Jeff, the Browns now head into week five. After playing four games, they, they could have won. And they're going to face Joe Cool Flacco, a guy that has a, an upgraded offense, uh, a couple capable running backs, although they haven't been very efficient running the ball. What do you think the Browns' defense will, will look like next week? And what do you think the biggest matchups will be on that side of the ball? You know, they are going to miss Terrence Mitchell in this game quite a bit because uh, the Ravens have a lot of speed. If you watch the Sunday night game and what they did to Pittsburgh and how they exploited Joe Hayden, which was kind of fun, uh, but they, they they have weapons all over the field. They, they can use their tight ends very well. And I, I, I love, I hate to say this about the Ravens. I love their offensive scheme and design. They, they seem to have an innate capability to find the weakness in the defense on any particular formation. So Greg Williams is going to have to, it, and this sounds odd for Greg. I, I would actually like to see him get more pressure, uh, maybe blitz even a little bit more to try to disrupt the timing and and hope that your safeties can make plays, hope that your linebackers don't get beat in coverage right away. Uh, and that's, you know, Baltimore, they're, they're really good guys. I, I'm impressed at how good they look. I didn't think they were going to be that great, to be honest with you. Uh, and that's, 
this this is this will be the best team that they've played this year and my expectations going into this game are lower i think than i've had in any other game and you know maybe that will make me be pleasantly surprised but i think this is one of those where uh, if they're still in it at the end of the game and you know within a, a score in the fourth quarter i'm going to be pretty happy jeff if you had to pinpoint one thing that's we're early in the season four games in if you have to pinpoint one thing besides special teams, which you already mentioned, that's really keeping this team from taking the next step, what is that one thing that that you would talk about? <laughs> Can I say special teams again? <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> you can. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say that the overall coaching staff and philosophy are holding – I don't want to say – the word retarding gets used, unfortunately, but that really, the technical term of the of that, the technical definition of that word is what's happening, I think, with this team quite a bit. There's, there's differing coaching philosophies on the offense and the defense, and Hugh Jackson is probably not the best guy to manage that. And I think uh, when you see Todd Haley talk about, you know, oh, I stole the, the Philly special play, even though, you know, Baker Mayfield had run it before, but Hugh's like, oh, we, we came up with that. You know, just those little things like that, the dissension, you know, it, it's hard for the players, I think, to trust what they're hearing. And, you know, do we trust Todd? Do we trust Greg? Do we trust Hugh? You know, what was our deal with Dorsey? You know, who's he going to side with if we have a dispute in those things? And I think that sort of uncertainty is a big problem for this team. And, and, you know, any of those guys on their own are probably acceptable. I think it's a volatile combination. I think that's a, a risky choice. I, I get why they gave Hugh the chance to prove himself to do it. And, and he's been, dare I say a little better than I thought he would be, but he's, he's definitely not the right guy to handle those two coordinators with this young roster team. And uh, that's, I think what's going to hold them back from, from going forward and spreading their wings fully this year. You know, now, now he's got a chance. They got a buy coming up. If they can steal a win somehow against Baltimore, they're they're still in the playoff race. And, you know, maybe they can iron things out and, and figure out what's working and what's not because there is a lot of very good football minds on the and Hugh Jackson being one of them. He's a very good football mind. He just might not be able to translate it into coaching all that well. You know, maybe a little bit more time and a little bit more cohesiveness will help them. Um that that that's that's a tough sell for me though right now. Hey Jeff, uh just a couple more things. We're gonna try to get you out of here. What um going back to Oakland briefly speaking speaking to Hugh Jackson just talking about what do you think about the decision to punt with a minute twenty and change to go and needing a few inches to win the ball game what 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 are your thoughts in hindsight in the moment what what do you think about what the right call is there you know I'll be honest with you I didn't even entertain the opportunity the option that they would go for it at that point based on the field position and based on Oakland you know have, having a chance to score I, I thought getting a good punt covering it well was was the right decision now obviously they didn't cover it well and and maybe um, again in hindsight I probably should have realized that the wretched special teams coverage was going to be more of a problem um, tell Colquitt to punt the ball out of bounds maybe I don't know I I, I had no problem with the decision to punt there Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. So heading into Baltimore, let's get your prediction for this week. Uh, final score. Yeah, sure. Uh, I am. I'm really harp, harping on the the loss of Mitchell because I I don't trust TJ Carey, and I say that as an Ohio Bobcat, and I'm proud to have Bobcats in the league finally to cheer for. Uh, but he's not playing well, 
And EJ Gaines, I don't, I don't trust in him yet. And I don't trust in the safeties of not named Randall to help in coverage all that much. And watching Baltimore and the speed that they have on the outside and how judiciously they use their tight ends. And, and, you know, Alex Collins is a good running back. They have a number of different ways to beat you. Lamar Jackson coming in as a, a weapon. Uh, I thought Pittsburgh struggled mightily with him, and I can see the Browns doing that too. So I think Baltimore is going to win. Uh, and I'm going to say they're going to win by, uh, we'll give them 11 points. I got 31 to 20. 31 to 20. Uh, it would be another disappointment. <laughs> but I, I think people that came in. It would be very disappointing. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I, I mean, I think people came in to the season. Some people came in a little too high on this team. Um, on, honestly, I, I know sometimes I uh, might seem like a downer on this show, but actually I'm encouraged with a lot of things that we're seeing and we try and keep it upbeat. Um, obviously, I, I know uh, you know people are, are excited about Mayfield and some of the rookies that we've talked about. So uh but 31 to 20 would be rough, especially another division game. It's just something that the Browns have just perpetually struggled with. They can't win division games, even though they seem to put a lot of their offseason focus onto it. But uh, Jeff, as always, a wealth of knowledge for us. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. Again, Jeff Risden, he's at Jeff Risden on Twitter. You can find him at realgm.com, brownswire.com, and lionswire.com and this guy works constantly you can hear him on the radio sometimes you can probably hear him on like five podcasts a week appreciate you joining us sir i know you're very busy so uh i really appreciate uh you coming and making the time to talk to mike and myself tonight it was my pleasure and you know there is very much reason to be positive and and feeling great about this team even though they're not winning the it, you know I covered the 0-16 Lions. I can tell you right now, this team is so far and away ahead of where that team was in the next year. This this team is really close to being really good, uh, and they're learning how to to get to that point. And I'm I'm very encouraged by what I've seen, and I'm 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 excited to keep watching this team. They are they're a fun group. And uh, Justin, I will see you in Florida for the Shrine Game. Hopefully, I hope. I hope so. We, we've got to get together and have our annual powwow down there. That's right. That's right. All right, Jeff. Take care. Thanks, guys. Take it easy, Jeff. All right. Thanks a lot to Jeff Risden for joining us. Appreciate your time, sir. All right. Now, now we're going to get into Justin and, and my predictions for this week in Baltimore and some key matchups that we see for this game. First of all, I like to echo what Mr. Risden said. The Ravens are pretty much clicking on all cylinders on offense right now. The Browns have some problems in the secondary with Terrence Mitchell being on the shelf for quite a while. I think that um, I'll give you my prediction up front, and then I'm going to walk it back a little bit. The Baltimore Ravens played well last weekend in a Sunday night game against the Steelers. However, traditionally, and I know this may not apply to the Browns because of how bad they've been recently, the Ravens have not been a great road team, and they'll be on the road now for two weeks in a row. Joe Flacco's numbers are significantly down for his career on the road. I do think that the Ravens will, will probably win the game. I just don't think they're going to win in by double digits. Um, the Ravens don't do a lot of things well that the Browns can are, are pretty are pretty good at at doing at defending against. So I think the Ravens will win the game, but I think it'll be a twenty-four to twenty final score. And the main reason for that is the 
John Brown, Michael Crabtree, and the number of tight ends that Joe Flacco has at his uh, disposal. He's got also Hayden Hurst coming back, rookie tight end this week. And now he's got three guys that really they can play interchangeably from those spots. But Hurst gives them a little added dimension. And it's not for sure that he'll be playing this week. But as we saw the Browns last week struggle against Jared Cook in the middle of the field, they uh, they left Joe Schobert and the linebackers pretty much out. They hung him, Greg Williams pretty much hung him out to dry on Cook the entire game. So I think that'll be a key matchup to look for is if, if even if Hurst doesn't play, seeing how the Browns match up against the Ravens' tight ends and uh, John Brown's speed potentially matched up against T.J. Curry on the outside. So I, I do think it's a winnable game. I do think the Browns are still playing well. They're still competitive. I, I, can't, I can't see right now their defense stopping Flacco unless he has another dud on the road. What, what do you got to say about this week, Justin? I'm with you and Jeff. I don't think the Browns are going to win this week. Uh, But I think this is going to be a a gut check for the defense this week. Baltimore doesn't. Baltimore's got some versatile running backs. Alex Collins had a pretty good season last year. And uh, Buck Allen, he's a guy that can really help in the passing game. But those guys haven't been running the ball well. The Browns can't allow themselves to get gashed. They can't allow these running backs who haven't really produced much to this point in the season to get hot against them. So I think uh, they, I, I think we're going to, with, with Mitchell out, I think we're going to see that secondary kind of harken back to what we saw a lot last year where the safety maybe is playing a lot, uh, very deep, trying to avoid the big play because they do have a guy, John Brown, who can take the lid off the defense so they've got to, uh, but they but they can't allow themselves to get gashed by these running backs that haven't done it up to this point. You know, Flacco, as you said, not always the best road quarterback, and he is playing very well right now. But they need to. Uh, they, I still think they need to make him beat them, and not allow themselves to give Baltimore easy yards. I think this is going to end up being a low scoring game because I think Mayfield is going to struggle a little bit this week too. Baltimore's always going to have some uh, some looks for a rookie quarterback that's going to give some custom problems. And the Browns might have a harder time running the ball this week than they did uh, this past game. So I'm going to say Ravens win this one 17-14. And unfortunately, it's probably going to come down to some more special teams plays. Not a kicking blunder by chance. <sighs> you know, it's, uh, honestly... <laughs> The kicking wasn't even the problem this week. It was the return game. They're getting nothing out of the return game at all and then not being able to to uh, win the battle of field position themselves with their with their kicking game, with the punt coverage, with the punt the punt team. We've seen blocked punts, we've seen bad snaps, we've seen missed kicks, we we've seen maddening, maddeningly poor returns. Uh, they've got to get that unit straightened up. Or it's it's going to be um, they're going to end up losing points every week because of special teams play, and that's something that's just not acceptable. It seems like something that would be an easy fix, if but uh, so far it's just been really one thing after another. But uh, yeah, it's 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 sad because we want to uh, you know we want to come out here, we want to pick them every week, but this is just one. I think you know you, me, our guest. 
we're on the same page. This is going to be a tough one for the Browns to pull off. But um, we did see Joe Thomas predict a three and one run coming up. So maybe this will be the one loss, and then they rattle off three in a row. We can hope. Yeah, we can we can definitely get behind that. And with the way that we've been playing, like we said, they're they're they're, they're they have the potential to do that. Um, back to the kicker for one more second. I don't think we've we've had enough kicker content this week. So, we've got to have one. Uh, we've got to have kicker talk. We, we've got to have it. We've got to bring it, and we're we're doing it. Greg Joseph sideline Browns on the forty nine yard line. About 10, 12 seconds remaining. Have it. Browns have a timeout. Let's say Mayfield completes a pass to the thirty-seven yard line. Young rookie hasn't kicked many long field goals. What do you think the chances are that he makes that field goal and the Browns win the game in regulation? Hundred percent. He would have had. He would ice ice water running through his veins. He would have been a hero for this Browns team for the new Browns. He would have been a hero and. Uh, the next Phil Dawson, but now we'll never know. Would you have bought a Greg Joseph jersey? Absolutely. I might buy one anyway, just to, just because I'm that confident. This is, after all, a kicker podcast, and we are behind our guy. Definitely, 100%. Uh, it, for those of, of you listeners that may remember, uh, Mike and I founded the Cundiff crew many years ago when Billy Cundiff was the kicker for the Cleveland Browns, so we're not afraid to start a kicker fan club. No I mean, we're very uh, confident in this young kicker, so uh, hopefully he has a chance to to pull it out. Now, Mike, we do have a hot take this week. Uh, We're trying to bring you one every week. Uh, This one is courtesy of, apparently, this guy is going to become Baker Mayfield's arch nemesis in the media, and that is the one and only Colin Cowherd. That's my boy. What's that? That's my boy. (laughs) <laughs> Colin Cowherd, host of The Herd, uh, a guy who's had me blocked on Twitter for many years going <laughs> back. Um, <laughs> Colin Cowherd, of course, has a, a budding rivalry with Baker Mayfield. He, he's uh, the reason behind Baker Mayfield wearing an undraftable hoodie. Uh, he's the, he's uh, had Mayfield on a show in the offseason, and there was some kind of uncomfortable moments between the two guys during the course of that interview. Um, and it seems like Cowherd is going to run his mouth about Baker Mayfield every single week, win or lose. Uh, this week, I mean, last week we, we played the clip from uh, Cowherd's show with Jason McIntyre, and they were talking about Mayfield pulling his phone out after winning, after leading a comeback victory. And this week, Cowherd says, let me tell you something, Ohio. Your standards are pretty low with four turnovers you're satisfied with. I don't think Baker Mayfield played that well. Mike, he's pinning all four turnovers on Mayfield, and uh, you know we've talked extensively this show. I don't think that's fair. No, we've, we've talked about it pretty, pretty much at great length already at this point. Baker Mayfield made some bad decisions. He had a couple bad plays where, that he'd probably like back. But there's nothing, there, there's nothing unexpected that happened from a rookie quarterback in his NFL debut. Uh, sure, he played two quarters the week before, and maybe, maybe that was a, a lot of adrenaline. A lot of a lot of things went right. But when you play an f- entire football game and overtime, there's going to be mistakes for rookies. There's going to be the growing pains that we've talked about that we always talk about with rookies. You just you just can't imagine a guy that, that's that sits around and is just waiting for Baker Mayfield to, to make a mistake every week 
just for just for a couple of clicks on his on his uh his podcast or radio show, radio show. Yeah, and, I apologize. And it's clear <laughs> it's clear he doesn't care really about facts or factual analysis of these plays because he's just going to throw that four turnover number at at the fans. He's then he's going to tweak the fans by saying that they have low standards. You could just tell he's going to go after Mayfield week in and week out. So it's going to be up to Baker to continue to get better and to just really I, – I, I have to know the way Baker Mayfield responds to people on social media, the way he turns negative comments about himself into merchandise. I think this is getting under his skin. So we'll see. This is something to watch going forward because this is becoming a weekly thing where Coward's going to tweak him. And uh, it's 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 kind of funny to me, to be honest. Yeah, I've I've been done with that segment of of sports media for quite some time, and if not for Twitter, I probably and if not for you bringing this hot take to my attention right now, I hadn't heard that yet. Thankfully, um, I just don't really give those guys much of my time anymore, and I don't think many people are. I think that the things they say are outlandish intentionally. For headlines, they get the attention that they're looking for. But like you said, they're not they're not doing film analysis. They're not evaluating the quarterback for the amount of great plays that he actually did have in the game. He's 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 doing it for entertainment value, and he's going to keep making this this hot take segment pretty often this season. I have a feeling he found a guy in Baker Mayfield who's a little bit controversial maybe wasn't really the consensus number one pick and he's a big name and he's gonna ride it and we're gonna ride him (laughs) (laughs) i think i think he called i i remember uh during the off season he he actually likened mayfield to like uh, a nissan sentra or something like that saying you you don't draft a nissan sentra number one overall you draft like a, a fancy sports car i'm paraphrasing because i'm not uh a fan, a big fan of Coward's show, but because Mayfield is is in now and playing, it's hard to escape these clips. And uh, Mike, you can thank me later for bringing it to your attention because <laughs> I didn't know that you weren't aware of it. But uh, that's what I'm here for. I'm actually jealous that you're blocked. I'm going to have to try to make that happen so that maybe I'll have I'll have even less of a chance, other than you bringing it up, to actually have to listen to that guy. <laughs> good luck it's not hard <laughs> all right justin thanks a lot for everything tonight we are going to be back next week for episode four talking about the ravens browns and then looking ahead to the chargers so once again thanks everybody for listening thank you jeff risden our guest and thanks to the dbn network for hosting this little operation you have been listening to the dbn network browns fans talking to browns fans Hi, I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Carreyou, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.